to another episode of the Folkcraft Revival podcast, uh, talking self-reliance, building, making, and doing things for yourself, learning traditional skills, folk crafts, um, all sorts of fun things like that. Today I'm chatting with Sammy Kells. He was he was a recommendation from uh, a roommate I had just after college. Um, Joel texted me and suggested I chat with Sammy. Uh, he had gotten to know him a little bit and, and thought we would hit it off well together. So um, I reached out and uh, Sammy was gracious enough to come on and chat with me for a little bit about uh, what he does and what his interests are and, and why. It's one of those things that I find interesting. It's, it's yeah, just, just talking with various folks about, about what they're involved with and, and what sort of interests they have and, and why they keep coming back to those. So... It's a fun episode like that. Sammy's involved in, uh, mostly involved in the uh, primitive skills, survival, earth skills, whatever you want to call it. And um, that, since that's kind of where I, uh, my interest first began too, that's, uh, we, had, we had a good time chatting. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with him. So um, I know this isn't really a podcast geared around the survival or primitive skills, but I kind of view them as going hand in hand um, since I'm interested in, in learning to do, make, and create things for myself, um, knowing how things work and how to uh, make things for myself. I, I view the survival skills as kind of the base layer upon which all the other ones are, are built. Um, you can figure out how to how to provide the basic necessities for yourself, then you can worry about, uh, you know, different basketry or, you know, something like that, if, if that's really what suits your fancy. But I still enjoy understanding the kind of like the base skill levels that, that have kept people alive for millennia. So at any rate, it was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, hope you hope you do as well. Any resources mentioned in this episode will be found over at uh, folkcraftrevival.com forward slash 29 as well as uh, links to uh, Sammy's social media and YouTube accounts um, things like that so go ahead and head over to the website if you if you want to follow up on any, on anything mentioned with that let's dive into the episode uh, I started out by asking Sammy about uh, his involvement with uh, some of these earth-based survival skills and and how he got involved yeah, that goes right back to the very beginning. And um, for me, my parents purchased about 50 acres on the Tennessee-North Carolina border and their dreams of building a really cool cabin that we're still building. And it's just, it's really amazing. And um, so for the past 10, 15 years, my dad's been building this cabin and when, when I was, say, 15, you know, we'd go up there and my dad would just put us to work, just labor after labor of, you know, concrete bag, hauling wood and stone. It's just nonstop, it seemed like. And um, I'd always look over my shoulder once in a while and notice this just matte green jungle, deciduous rainforest behind me. Yeah. Um, and that that's really how it is. And specifically uh, Flag Pond, Tennessee. It's just north of the Great Smoky Mountains. 
really, really insane um, environment and life there in the wild places. And so this cabin's pretty remote. And every time we go up there helping, I'd always find myself looking at, you know, back into this jungle. And I'm, I always thought to myself, there's something in that. I don't know what it is, you know, if it's something materialistic or not. So slowly, um, I'd always tell my dad, hey, you know, can I take a break? You know, and I just would run off into the woods and just explore. Really, that's it. It's just explore and see what it's like in there. And sure enough, after time went on, you know, uh, we were taking backpacking trips on the Appalachian Trail and me realizing how how beautiful the country is and how to connect more with the land and try to minimize my pack on the backpacking trips. I'm like, man, I got a lot of weight. It's really suppressing my movement. It's a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So so after backpacking trips with siblings and friends. And, um, and after just spending more time out in that area and falling in love with it, it, it slowly kicked in my survival instinct and, um, my drive to, uh, kind of want to rough it out. So slowly it just got into, you know, let's try some friction fire and, um, what, you know, what is this plant? Is this plant edible? Can I, you know, what can I use it for? surely everything in nature has got to have a purpose in some way or other. Yeah. And, um, so it just slowly started from there. I would say is when we got the land and just North of the great smoky mountains and started, started realizing that the forest has, has something within it, the wilderness, if you will. And, and I want to figure out what that is. And, um, so it just didn't really stop from there and still doing it today. And I'll be doing it till the day I die. It's just understanding nature still. It's going to take multiple lifetimes. So just got to pack it all in right now. (laughs) There's a heck of a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah, There it is. Yeah. I've, I've never really been out to that area of the country. I need to at some point, but uh, I've been, you know, kind of the upper Midwest and a little bit to New England and whatnot. And, and down kind of south, but I've never hit that whole general area of the country. Uh, my favorite time of the year there is fall. And I think you'll hear that from a lot of people who've been in the southern Appalachians. The The colors of the trees and the canopy is just like a rainbow. Um, it's, re- it's really insane because there's such a diverse amount of trees there. Yeah, um, and specifically the the southern Appalachians, the southeast, not so much the northeast. Really, um, there's just a large amount of variety of trees there, and um, and plants too. I I think it's really because of the humidity and it being a little warmer uh, yeah. than the northern part of the Appalachians. So, I would say even the northern, but that's that's I guess primarily coming from my viewpoint as a someone who's grown up and lived most of his entire life in the in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, even the, the entire eastern side of the country seems to have a wide variety, a huge diversity of life and and tree species and whatnot compared to here. So, but you're saying even more so as you move south, huh? Yeah, I think so. I think it's it seems like uh, plants and trees become more diverse and more humid and wet climates, and and it's a little more warmer there in the southern Appalachians, and it's just I think it's just the explosion of life there. It's 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 really mind-boggling um, 
from from the amount of trees to the amount of bugs. There, I think there's just a few thousand species of salamanders just in the Great Smokies. Oh wow! Yeah, and um, it's 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 a really cool place. So I'm from the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> well welcome to the desert <laughs> <laughs> i like the desert <laughs> you you said uh friction fire was kind of your introductory skill set that you started with right oh yeah i don't know where i saw it i think it was on tv i'm sure um on one of the survival shows or um or my buddy actually my brother took a Boulder Outdoor Survival course, I think coming up on like 15 years ago, he had it for his um, graduating high school present. And that's how my friend Reese and I became familiar with Boulder Outdoor Survival School. So it might have originated from that point of knowing someone, uh, but more than likely probably on like YouTube or TV show or something. And whenever I saw someone do friction fire, bow drill, hand drill, I was like, what in, what is this? You know, it's something doesn't meet the eye here. It was really weird. I'm like, there's something to that. And, um, so I, I, my first friction fire was bow drill fire. I remember it, it took me a few days to get, I was really persistent with it because I thought it was the coolest thing ever. I'm like, I, yeah. I got to do that. <laughs> be able to start. I think everyone uh, <laughs> who gets their first fire thinks that. Yeah. Be able to start a fire with just a couple sticks. I mean, even today, it's still pretty cool. <laughs> to yeah. out. And um, so, yeah, my first friction fire was a bow drill. I think I did cedar on cedar. And um, so, yeah, it started with that. And then as my fire skill progressed, I kind of slowly dived into hand drill more. Um, and I think, uh, why it's so appealing is because it's so minimal. It's just a stick and another stick, you know, you don't have a string or some other stuff and a hand hold. Um, it's really simple. And I think that's the beauty of it. Yeah. Pairing it down to the basics. That's about where I've come to. I've, I did my first, uh, boat drill fire, I think when I was 10. Um, wow. And I've lit a number of them over the years. And frankly, at this point, I'm pretty out of practice as as we talked about earlier, how you get out of practice when you haven't done something in a while. I'm pretty out of practice, but I did uh, bow drills for quite a while. And uh, this last year, I decided to start experimenting with the hand drills. So that was kind of my, my summer project is trying to figure out the hand drill and, and become semi proficient. Yeah. It, it, the, the hand drill is cool. It's definitely, I wouldn't say one's really harder than the other. I've struggled a lot with the bow drill, actually. Um, but that's really cool. You got on that really young because I didn't get, I didn't start getting into survival stuff until about 17 years old or 18. Um, yeah. Kind of at the last legs of high school and you don't really know still what you're doing. Yeah, I just knew I liked to go backpacking and nature was cool. And, you know, the thing then was let's go for a hike, you know, hikes, hikes were the thing. And then survival became it. Um, but yeah, no, the friction fires, are, it's definitely a really great fundamental skill. And especially I think for, for anyone out there trying to start to get into the skills part of nature connection, uh, friction fire is definitely up there. There's a lot of satisfaction coming with that for sure. It definitely is. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of learned the 
I won't say similarly, but from the same roots that you did, you were saying it came from your brother going to boss for a, a course. I learned from outdoor survival skill or uh, uh, what's the book called by Larry Olson. Oh, uh, I think it's outdoor survival skills or outdoor survival. Uh-huh. I spaced it now. Um, but yeah, that's the book I learned from and he started boss back in the day. So right. kind of the same roots. I've always meant to go down and take a, a course from them, uh, hopefully a two-week or a month-long course, but I've never never managed to figure that one out and get on it. So I'd love to at some point. Yeah, definitely. Definitely take the time. Um, it's, it's hands down the best survival school out there. Uh, the country they bring you in is stunning. And what you get out of the class is um, even more so. It's what they have going at boss is beautiful and the way they change people's lives for the better. It's really great. Yeah. So props to them. I assume you've taken a, a course then or a, uh-huh. Yeah. I did the 14 day field course. That in itself was just amazing. The, the instructors who work at boss, they care so deeply about what they're doing and um, who they're with and their students that in itself is is really really the best takeaway, but you you really do come out like um, just a whole different perspective on life. Yeah, um, yeah, it changed me so much. I have mad respect for Boulder Outdoor Survival School and all the instructors there. Great people, great community. So definitely, definitely, great, great school. Yeah, still on the bucket list. At some point, I would like to. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to go back to take another. So. Did your, your, uh, you, you mentioned a lot of it was around reducing weight when you're backpacking. So where, where'd you go from friction fire? Was it, uh, I, I noticed a lot of your YouTube videos. It's about shelter building and stuff. Was that your next, next logical progression or was, did you move on to some of the other skills, hands-on type projects? Yeah, no, I think you, you nail it right there. It, now that I'm thinking about it, I think, um, you know, I got some friction fire down. I'm like, that's cool and all. What else is there? You, you want to dive into the other skills. And shelter building, I think, is one of my favorites. Um, Why is that? I think it's so rooted in us. Don't get me wrong. Like fire and other skills are too. It's foraging for food and hunting. Something about building a shelter gives you this grounding feeling of like home. And home is such a heartwarming feeling. So yeah. the correlation there of like being able to build a shelter is not just some amazing satisfaction and this grounding feeling you get from building a nice shelter, but being able to practice with different styles too. And, um, and when to use a better shelter for a certain environment. So I think building is just so, so embedded in, the human DNA. It's just one of my favorites because you can get so crafty with it and you can build any type of shelter you can imagine really. And, and it can get pretty fun too. You can get some, do some really creative stuff and the building materials, you know, you're using wood rocks and um, I don't know, some other stuff, but that's the majority of it. That's the majority of the materials. Yeah. So there again, you know, you're just handling natural materials. I think shelter building will always probably be my favorite. 
just the importance of building. Have you taken the progression from the kind of, kind of like the, the basic survival shelters to some of like the natural building techniques? Have you looked into anything like cob building and, and straw bell and things like that? Have you experimented at all with any of those? Uh, no, that's great though. I really want to. And every time you see, see, um, see that cob buildings or, um, really well done pit houses, a lot of what any natives would build in their region um, is probably that best shelter for that environment. But anytime, anytime I see something like that, um, that definitely pushes me more. I haven't messed with that at all. And I want to, I think my shelter building and the shelters I've built is just beginning. I can't wait to keep going. Um, yeah. I've built um, this really cool A-frame a couple years ago. It's actually kind of the first parts I have like four or five parts to it on the channel. And that's kind of what I first put out on the channel is um, this A-frame shelter. And that was a really fun build. I brought in some cedar boards from the cabin. They were junk. And um, that was just a really fun, a really fun build. And I've just kept going. I've built a couple pit houses. My most recent pit house is out here in the Uintas. Yeah. That one's really fun. I, I like those a lot, but I've built I built another one. I, I have a couple parts of a log log shelter I built on the channel, and um, I think it's just getting to that point. You know, you just there's no stop, and you can build any kind of shelter, and that's that's why I have built so many is because I love it that much, and I think it's I think shelter building is definitely one of the coolest out there. Yeah. Besides which practice makes perfect, right? It does. You, know? you only get better by repetition. So yeah, yeah you got to try new stuff. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you've mentioned the channel a couple of times now. Do you want to tell people a little bit about your YouTube channel and what it's called so they can look it up if they want? Yeah, absolutely. So the YouTube channel is called Samuel Kells and uh, my brother and I started a couple of years ago. He was really busy. And I was like, well, I'll just spearhead it. It was really to pronounce the importance of nature connection and to people in the audience. And so the channel is just focusing on survival skills um, of all kinds, from tanning hides, friction fire, mushrooms, wild edibles, shelter building, to even like doing, you know, um, submersions in the wilderness for a length of time. I want to start doing a few more of those. And now we're getting into nature documentaries um, to show the importance of keep the wilderness very healthy for the health of the planet and for the health of ourselves, because yeah. that's now becoming, I think, more important as each year goes on um, in this world. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the YouTube channel, Samuel Kells, that's been a big dream and we're, we're probably not going to stop anytime soon. And uh, we're excited to see the future of that as well. Uh, eventually we're trying to get some land, do our own workshops and classes and sell products uh, because we, we craft a lot. We do a lot of woodworking and, um, yeah. So I think it's evolving into something really great. Uh, yeah. Two things. Um, well, actually let's, let's just start with that. You, you were just saying you craft a lot and do a lot of woodworking. Can you tell us a little bit about what sort of things you craft and what style of woodworking you're involved in? Yeah. Um, I'd say, uh, we do a little more rustic woodcrafting. Um, however, my brother, he makes some amazing cutting boards. I mean, top end professional stuff. And, um, that's great. That's amazing. I'm a little more rough. I'd say a little more, uh, 
primal caveman style to my woodworking. <laughs> uh, you know, whenever I get that ending product, that's that, you know, it's good. <laughs> if it works, it works. <laughs> I think that's the survival stuff coming in play there, but, um, functionality once it's functional, yeah, roll with it. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, so we make all kinds of things. I started making, um, a woodwind instrument called an ocarina and, um, those produce beautiful tones and those are those have fascinated me for a couple of years, but I've never tried making one. I've yeah, it's been on the bucket list at some point, but I've never gotten around to it. They're, they're really, really cool. Um, because music's been so important to humans, you know, for millennia and a really big, really big part actually, um, is ce- celebration and music and dancing. That's, that's also part of us and where we came from. So, being able to understand the different instruments out there and be able to make them, that's really fun and very exciting. Um, so I got into making those woodwind ocarinas, and those are really cool. But those have been the most recent. I, I started making gourd banjos, actually. Um, a couple years ago, I, I saw some guy make a gourd banjo, and he spent maybe like 20 bucks on materials. And I'm like, that's the coolest thing ever because I really love the banjo and it's very Appalachian roots. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I made one and then, you know, I ended up making four and five more. And I know, I'm making, <laughs> I'm uh, you know, <laughs> on the side and stuff. And it's really fun. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I want to make more. I'm going to try and pump out about half a dozen this winter. I have a couple orders for some friends. I owe. I owe one boss instructor actually one. He gave me a sheep hide. So um, I got to get him a banjo. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. And um, yeah, so those those are really great. And that's about the only instruments I've crafted is ocarinas and banjos. What prompted you with it? I, I like the sound of a lot of these older traditional instruments a lot. It's just a little less refined and a little more welcoming maybe than a lot of the like classical instruments that you always hear the yeah. you know piano and violin and you know yada 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 there's something just just about something like a, a simple wood flute that sounds so different than a metal flute that a classical flutist is going to play uh and it's so much more welcoming these traditional traditional uh instruments in general All right. how how did, how did you get started with the ocarinas and then I want to go back and touch on the banjo because i find the banjo really fascinating yeah no you know um i always thought woodwinds were really cool and the the flutes have been a big native instrument and yeah. and they just sound really great and i tried making a flute first actually it, was, it seemed to be really difficult i made it first with some river cane and then i'm like all right well i want to kind of switch it up here so i've known of the ocarina and i'm figured well let's try making one of those and it took me about four tries until i'm got one to produce sound uh, there's a window and a lip to it that has to slice the air like a lot of woodwind instruments and so once i got that down i just kind of kept rolling with them and they're really you can bust them out really quick actually in about a day and you can make all types of sizes i actually have some right here yeah, I can. So this is a little mahogany one, and it's pretty small. There's my palm. Okay. Obviously, the smaller it produces a lot more higher tone. 
Oh. Yeah, super pretty. Yeah, very pretty. And then, you know, you can work on different sizes. This one's a little bigger, and you'll notice the tone's just uh, slightly different. Cool. Yeah, and so you can make them all different sizes. You can make really big ones, and they've got a lot of bass to them, which is really cool. Um, so that's just a really fun woodcraft project to do and anyone out there is capable of making them so yeah that's that's one of those ones that like i said it, i've known about them for years but i've never gotten around to making them but it seems like uh, a very approachable uh instrument you don't need very much wood uh, it's fairly simple you don't need a whole lot in the way of of tools or anything like that it's something that people can go out and make on a weekend when they're sitting around at home exactly do go out with the kids and make one so definitely a project in my future have, have you noticed any difference in in like the density of wood when you're making those you were saying the size plays a huge difference in the in the sound does density of wood really make a difference for you density definitely changes the tone of the ocarina if if you have a denser wood like this mountain mahogany which is found out here in utah at certain higher elevations um it's extremely dense wood mountain mahogany and it'll actually if you really smooth it down and uh fine tune everything which you should um something really dense like that will produce a much kind of brighter and sharper tone as if it was not wood like tin or some type of metal yeah but you have something softer like a walnut that's a little bit softer it's you can find you know different types of densities in woods in the same wood, which is crazy. That's why I love wood working. Yeah. It, yeah. It, there's so many surprises, but you take a really soft wood, say like poplar or something or cedar, it'll produce a much softer tone and it won't be so ringy. So yeah, density plays definitely a major part in the tone. Jose, I talked with uh, a, a flute player or a flute maker a while back I'll, I'll link that one up for people so they can go back and listen to that one if you want. But yeah, he was saying the same thing as um, he only uses softer woods because he doesn't like the sound that you get from a harder wood. At that point, he says you're, you're getting too metallic. And so he sticks with the softer woods. But I'm glad you've tried mountain mahogany. That's actually one of my favorite woods. I've used it for a number of projects. Gorgeous, gorgeous wood. I love that one. It just has problems with checking and cracking when it dries, which is a little bit of an issue. <laughs> yeah. What what have you tried making out of the mahogany? So I've done some knife handles with it. Oh, okay. um, yeah. Super pretty, super dense. I've done uh, some lathe work. Um, oh. I don't know if Joel told you, but when we were living together, we had a lathe set up in our living room uh, the entire year that, that we were living together. And so I had some blocks of mountain mahogany and I, I turned a bunch of like uh, old school tops Wow, and whatnot for my my nephews for Christmas. Wow, I bet the uh, chisels were a little dull after turning. Oh yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a very dense wood, definitely. <laughs> for for people that know wood, uh, I think that one's like thirty nine hundred jenkas in hardness or something like that. It's it's one of the densest woods in North America. Jen- so jenkas, huh? I, there's a scale. There is a scale. Um, I'm, I'm a professional woodworker. I would work for a living. So yeah, walnut, you were, you were talking about walnut being a softer wood. Most people consider walnut to be a hardwood, but yeah. when you compare it to something like that, it's, it's not really a hardwood. No, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's a decent wood, but yeah. 
Yeah. It's fun though. It, Beautiful wood. That's what um, I was kind of getting at in the middle of that was like, um, sometimes I'll have like a section of tree and you know, one end of it, when you get down to something, you know, it can be a little different in density than the other end, you know, because of its age yeah. or maybe that end was laying on the ground exposed to moisture a little more. So, but it's really cool to look out for all those little small things and woodworking. And Yeah. Back to the banjos now. Um, I, I do consider that one to be kind of like a classic uh, Appalachian instrument and coming from that area. It doesn't surprise me at all that, that you are interested in that one and that you've yeah. made a couple. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about banjos and banjo making? And you, you said these ones are gourd banjos? Yeah. So I've only made gourd banjos as of now. I'd like to start getting into like wooden framed ones. Um, yeah. And I'm sure I will be, because I just love the banjo and the tone of it. But kind of what got me into it, um, there's this great folk artist, and her name is Rhiannon Giddens, and she's from North Carolina, actually. And um, she's she writes beautiful music, and she relates the banjo to its history. So she writes a lot about the history that was around the banjo and its time period and stuff. And that fascinates me a lot because I found out, I think it was one of the very first instruments that came into North America was the banjo. And it was from the slave period. Um, they brought over an instrument called an Akonting, A-K-O-N-T-I-N-G. And that's the precessor of the banjo. It's a three string, um, pretty down and dirty, and it, but it's got a gourd. That's what it started with and um, a skinhead just over it. And it kind of started from there, and then they started to fine-tune it and change its shape a little, I suppose. And then you got your standard, you know, five-string five banjo. Evolved materials and area in which you're at, yeah. Yeah, and that evolved. And there was a period um, of, I guess, music, music history. It was called uh, minstrel, and... It's there's so much history to it. I really I really don't want to say something because I'll probably say it wrong, but it's very fascinating this minstrel timing of the banjo, and that's really where it all started. And then up came you know bluegrass, your banjos with resonators, open back banjos, and yeah. um, so there's actually a lot of history to the banjo, and um, and that's really cool. I think. Pairing it down, um, so we were talking just about a woodwind instrument. In a woodwind instrument, you basically, yeah, you you come to a sharp point as you're blowing air in. It splits the air, and you create a note. What's what's like the overarching principle going on behind uh, a string instrument, a banjo? I I would say it's your drum head for for the banjo here. It's the drum head you you pluck a string that's tightened over that and it resonates in this body. And I think that's, that's that finite point that you're trying to correlate. There is um, the resonating of the pluck. And there's a style of playing a banjo called claw hammer. And it's when you stroke your hands downward and you're kind of hammering on the strings in a downward stroke. And that's huh. that's how they played the accounting, and the claw hammer style came over with that, and 
and it's still used today in a lot of a lot of banjo folk music and stuff. And then then evolved picking and stuff. Um, I'm sure there was picking back in the day on those accountings, but I think for the majority it was a style called claw hammer. Huh, fascinating. Yeah, and so so definitely I think that finite point is the pluck and the string um, making the noise in that chamber, and and it's really cool. So that is cool. Yeah, yeah. So there's kind of a little bit of a difference between uh, kind of your introduction to you know the survival perspective and doing things from survival and moving on to creating music and musical instruments and things like a banjo. They're a little, they're not different. I mean, you're still making your own stuff. You're still learning to create your own things and making with your hands. But there's a difference in level of refinement, I guess, in the banjo. Did you kind of pursue that into other sort of traditional Appalachian crafts and skills at all? Or or was that kind of your foray into something a little more refined and you stuck with the survival skills? After that, I think it um, hovered with the roots, uh, the connection I have to the Smokies and um, back home, yeah. the Southern Appalachians. Like that was that's that's a big instrument, well known instrument there, and um, and so I wanted to I wanted to make one, and I wanted to do it kind of as primitive as I could at first one, I didn't have the knowledge to be able to make a really fine crafted wooden framed banjo N- yeah. nor the tools really. So gourd banjo seemed really appealing and started with that. And I, I was really attracted to it because that's kind of actually how it all first started. Um, something about being really basic. Yeah. So no, um, I think it kind of definitely hovered around with like my drive for primitive skills and survival because um, instrument making was right in there with fire and shelter building. Um, yeah. Cause you know, people had to entertain themselves back in the day. And it's a lot more difficult when you didn't just pop on the TV and watch a movie for three hours in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> completely different. You had to take up uh, instruments or whittling or, painting or something yeah yeah that's what it is no they didn't have they didn't have that back in the day they had fire for their tv (laughs) and rocks to drum on and stuff (laughs) yeah uh did you um you ever read the fox fire books they're kind of based out of the appalachian area yeah i've um i've gotten through about half of one but i got a couple and they're great for just kind of looking around and and they're they're great books really cool and those have a lot of history to those yeah i think that was something i found really fascinating about them is um kind of recording some of the history and some of the the, like dying folk crafts and folk arts that are uh happening in the area i find i found those books very fascinating yes exactly um they were they were definitely in touch with the roots there. And I think that's how the, how the uh, books they started and evolved. Um, They're really cool books. They go over a lot of skills and a lot of the little in-between skills too. Um, Very cool collection of books. What do you mean by an in-between skill? Uh, A kind of a secondary skill, if you will, you know, um, primaries being like important for like fire, water, shelter, food. Um, yeah. I think those are a big primary skills. And then you got your secondary skills 
such as instrument making. I don't think that's so important as something like tanning a hide. You know, yeah. that's that's they needed that. That was survival. That was a primary skill almost. But those leisurely activities, um, skills definitely evolved out of the out of that painting and stuff. A little more entertainment side, more to the quality of life type things instead of just survival. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Huh? No, yeah, I found those those books very interesting, and some of the things they would or crafts they would have pretty good instructions on how to make or do or build or whatever. Um, and other ones, they were pretty lacking on instructions and you'd be sitting here scratching your head, trying to figure out exactly how you went from point A to point B, but very, very fun resources just to see some of the examples of what they were recording and what was going on in, in that area. Some of the, like I said, the folk old folk skills. Yeah, no, the, those Foxfire books are a hit. Um, there's really cool stuff in there. All types of like stories and uh, snake lore, weird stuff like that, um, that I'm sure is a lot of truth to it um, because that, that's an old starting book. You know, th- those were written a while ago. I think I think it was first um, uh, like a, a newspaper or something in a small town. I think it was like a school assignment or something like that. I had heard is the students were all assigned to go record something from <laughs> from their region and very turn cool. turn in a paper about it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, those are great books. And um, I, one person can get a book and I think learn a lot just from that. That's what that's yeah. great about um, about the knowledge of nature connection and survival stuff and way of life of um, the ancient ways is um, it can be spread through not just teaching, but books, you know, you can find today and pretty easily too. I mean, you can find books on a lot of different topics. Um, no. Real, real easy. Uh, I've learned a lot of what I've learned from books because I haven't known very many people who are interested in, or that knew kind of the older traditional ways and skills. So I've learned a lot of what I, I know through books and then go out in the backyard and practice and attempt and fail and see what happens. <laughs> I, I know. I hope books stay a thing. Those should never disappear. How, how did you learn most of these skills? Did you, uh, I mean, you said you started practicing various things when you were probably 17 or something you said. Uh-huh. What was your your route for learning about a lot of these skills and how did, how did you pick them up? I I believe um, I was mostly self-taught. I saw a lot of the stuff on TV and um, YouTube, for instance, you know, growing up, you know, I'm 25. So I grew up in the time with access to internet and TV and all that. And I saw these people doing it and well, I got to go try it. Um, a lot yeah. of, a lot of my experience comes from self-taught um, I would say I've been to a few uh, plant gatherings back in the day, like up in Virginia. And um, uh, yeah, I'd say majority, definitely self-taught. I would just be so eager to go out and do it myself. I did learn a lot from books and I'd like to take books out um, when I go out, you know, camping and stuff. But you could really only get so much from a book. You had to do it yourself. Had to go out and fail a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah you had to go out and fail a few <laughs> times. That's really what it was. 
So yeah, a lot of my experience is self-taught and um, I don't regret it at all, but I do, I do kind of wish there, there was more opportunity in school for like nature connection and stuff like that. So seeing all these independent people starting up schools and all the survival schools there are now and people trying to spread the word. That's great. Yeah, definitely spread the interest and, and, uh, get more people at least put it on their radar. Even if they don't necessarily take a class, at least they, they have seen something about it. They know a little bit about it or something like that. Uh, Put it on their radar so they can think about it. Um, I talked with a guy, um, He's a blacksmith, and we were kind of talking cool. about the importance of the kind of the apprenticeship and journeyman stage. Uh, he's a professional blacksmith. That's what he does for a living and uh, how it's influenced his progression as a smith. And it made me definitely realize that I need to find someone who's really good at what they do and learn from them because I've spent too much time either learning from books and then trying and failing and trying and failing and you know, trying to figure things out. Uh, I could definitely have have learned better and faster and more effectively if I found someone who was good at what they were doing and figured out some sort of way to learn from them. So it's, it's great that we can, we can learn in the various ways that we have. Um, But I, after talking with him, I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain that I need to find people that are really good at what they're doing in order to teach me so I can, I can progress quicker because I'm I've realized that my skills are like way down here and I want to be up here, but it's <laughs> taken me too long to get there. <laughs> yeah. You're absolutely right though. I, the way to learn and, or the way to teach, it's gotta be done person to person. That's the best. That's how it's been done for humans. You know, they, they didn't have internet back then. They'd have to show the other guy in the tribe. This is how you make this, or this is how you identify this. Yeah, um, it was all it's all person to person, and um, that's that's exactly what we need most right now. Um, we can't be doing any more of this quarantine stuff. I get it, and it's great. You know, people if if you feel like you're more susceptible to all that, you know, I understand. But I come from I come from growing up like just getting after it and doing it yourself, and um, going to learn from a master. Um, so that's why I really support all these people starting up these survival schools. You see, it's just, it's, it's really great that it can't stop. In fact, we need to promote it more and have more of it. That's why I'm trying to start that myself. Well, what are you, are you teaching classes or any courses or anything like that right now? Uh, no, not right now. Just full-time arborist and producing content. Hopefully here soon though. Um, I think I think it's going to come come in the near future. Uh, we're looking yeah. looking at some land still, and there's just a lot that comes with that. No, there definitely is. Yeah, so we just want to be prepared and have everything squared away. I think yeah, I think being able to teach is is amazing, and it's part of being human. I've been teaching survival stuff actually um, for like past five years to homeschooled kids, summer camp kids, even adults on the side. And been doing that for, you know, half a decade. And I love it. I love teaching. Yeah, it sounds like a good progression for you then. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think it's just really important. And um, what a well, where, where have you been teaching? You said to some homeschool groups and some adult groups and whatnot. You've been 
teaching and doing some sharing and whatnot. Where, where have you been teaching? Yeah. So, um, a couple years ago, I went out to the Bay Area of California, and um, I taught at a summer camp there called Avid for Adventure. That was for about three to four months, and um, I think that's kind of really where it all started because I'd see these kids' faces, like, smile ear to ear, you know, when I should tell them, like, what track this is. This is, was a little fox or how to set up a small little trap and to bow drill fires and the kids love it. That's what's really great about teaching is for someone who's really drawn towards that and wants to learn, you see a lot of a lot of happiness come out of them. And yeah. that's kind of really where it all started. And to natural leaders in Washington, D.C., where I was telling you earlier, um, great program up there. And those homeschooled kids are amazing. Um, you just, they'd go out every day. They were tiring me out, <laughs> but they love it. They absolutely love it. It's being able to like teach a kid something that's like part of them. Uh, you just see, you see the connection so well and so clear. Yeah. yeah. It's really great. So that's yeah, definitely the, the importance of teaching. Hmm. What what is it about the like survival skills and primitive skills that appeals to you? Can you put that to words? Yeah, that's a big one. I think it's about the connection. It's it's not about wanting to kill or to be a killer or foraging for food, building a shelter or spinning a coal. Those are the skills. That's what comes with it. It's the connection that you have to reality. When you throw yourself out in the wilderness, wherever it is, and you take away a lot of your modern tools and gear, you feel a lot more exposed to nature. And the longer you go, you can realize that there's these layers to life and they'll slowly start peeling back, whether it be a hard skill, a piece of gear I need to bring to a big spiritual breakthrough. Yeah. Um, to me, it's really all about the connection that you get with nature and the wilderness. Um, because we came from this planet, we came from Earth, and we now live a life where we're really separated from that, almost literally. And um, when you go out in the wilderness for an extended period of time and you expose yourself, you're kind of connecting to the other part of yourself. Yeah. And that's where I think you get a lot of understanding. Um, so it's definitely the connection for me that you have when you're out in the wild doing uh, primitive, minimal camping or hiking. Um, and you see it everywhere. Everyone, you know, you see all these people loving to hike the PCT or um, all these people getting into survival stuff or to even your day hikers. Uh, humans are drawn towards nature. We can't ignore it. And when you do, we're, we're seeing all these problems arise, you know, the frustration, um, depression. And that's because of lack connection to nature, I believe. So getting yourself out there in the wild places uh, with bare minimum, you, you really start to peel back these layers and, and see what reality really is and what we yeah. need to do as humans. I think that's, uh, kind of what's always appealed to me, um, 
about these types of things too. I mean, that's kind of where I started is with the survival and the primitive skills. And uh-huh. I've added on and moved into more of the traditional folk skills as well. But that's kind of where I started. And for similar reasons, it's uh, you want to be a part of the environment and not necessarily sort of removed from it. And then I like the feeling of, of self-reliance, like, not not going to say if something goes wrong, I know how to take care of myself, but it, it gives you the sense of confidence that you know, like base level, I can do this absolutely if I need to. And everything else above that is just, you know, toppings. Yeah, no, that's a great feeling is that self-reliance feeling. It's definitely innate in us, I believe. Yeah. And then I, I kind of get that same feeling. Uh, as, like I said, I've moved on to some of the more refined folk crafts and things. Um, you, you not quite the nature connection, but you still do. You have that to a, a degree because a lot of the times you're still outsourcing your own materials. Uh, you're taking things raw from nature, so you, you get you get that aspect of it. And then you're learning to accommodate the craft you're making with the materials that you acquire, um, which is something uh, you don't necessarily have to. Like I, I, I'm a professional woodworker. When you're a professional woodworker, a board comes in you get four quarter lumber or five quarter lumber or whatever. It's just flat board. You rip it, plane it, saw it, whatever. It's a little different when you're doing hand tool woodworking and you go out and you pick a tree and you, you know, I'm going to use that branch for this. Uh, the attitude and the, the way you go about it changes a little bit. And I feel like you have a little more connection with uh, what you're building, what you're making and with nature in general. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great, great line there is that break point. You know, you can walk into the store and buy a perfect two by four or the skills um, that were just recently used in the primitive craft and folk craft. Um, it's it's substantially more primitive, even if it's a little more folky and yeah. um, posh than hard primitive skills, if you will it's still very primitive. Um, and I think you get that same feeling for sure. Yeah. If you look at the, like the level of skill it takes for say a, a traditional carpenter to hew a, a, a board, a, a beam uh-huh. out of a tree with a, with a uh-huh. hewing ax. I mean, that's just, <laughs> that's a lot of skill and a lot of work. Yes. It's, it's miles above doing it primitive with a stone ax, but it's still not that far removed <laughs> no it's still right there um there, there's that great line i love the like you can get pretty posh with primitive skills and that's where that folk era is i think uh, yeah no is that like you know just that 17th to 18th century type style of camping yeah um that's re- that's right there with primitive primitive lifestyle no doubt um you still have all that satisfaction you're still really connected to it We've just gotten re- really far in this modern world where, you know, we don't yeah. really have that connection at all. Have you ever read a book called The Nature Connection? Uh, no. Who, who's it by? Um, Florence Williams, I want to say. I read that one last year. I think you would really enjoy it. Um, that, was, that was probably my favorite book from last year. So, yeah, highly recommend that one. I, I'd love it. Again? The Nature Connection? I think it's called Nature Connection or The Nature Connection. Let me jump in here real fast to correct myself since I obviously did a poor job of remembering. Uh, The book was called The Nature Fix 
by Florence Williams. Um, yeah, that was probably my favorite book from last year. I think you would enjoy it. Yeah, no, that sounds great. I'm always looking for good reads, you know, related to what I enjoy, really. Yeah, that one's all about, um, she kind of delves into some of the science and whatnot and how being removed from nature and, and disconnected is affecting our psychology and physiology. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a good read. I really enjoyed learning. Wow. Yeah, so. absolutely. We need to watch what we're doing to this planet. Um, there's, there's a lot of people on this planet now. And, um, and people like us, we need to speak up. We need to, we need to start reaching out to others in the community, like-minded people and start doing this. I'm yeah. really stoked that I'm on this podcast. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I find it really fun to chat with people about what they're involved with and, uh, kind of get some, um, well, so far I've kind of done two different formats. It's kind of just like a get to know people type format, what they're involved with and, and why, uh, which is kind of what I would consider this to be is, you know, we're, we're getting to know you and what you're involved with and why you're interested in it and, and what brings you back to it. Um, and then kind of the other side of this is the educational teach people about doing this or doing that or how to do this. So, um, I've really, really had a fun time chatting with people, though. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, it's really great, and being able to being being able to meet new people and yeah, and spread the message and stuff. That's what that's what it's about. It's the connection with others in this land. So uh, that's too. I've definitely had some conversations with people. Um, you know, I never would have connected with otherwise, and you know, that's it's amazing to be able to to meet new people and get to know people. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. So going to kind of go ahead and wrap this up. Oh, there was kind of two things. Um, one, what was the kind of, kind of your, your longest point you've spent out in the, out in nature at a time you were talking about extended forays into the wilderness, you know, kind of the primitive living. What's been your longest stretch you've, you've been out. And then in conjunction with that, now that you've moved out west, kind of compare and contrast, you know, back east, was it a, you've spent a lot of time back in the Appalachians. Uh, what was the adjustment like coming out west and, and how was that different? Yeah, so the longest duration I've spent out in the wild was actually uh, 16 days. That was in, that was at, at the cabin in Flag Pond, Tennessee, and that was up along the Appalachian Trail, there's a lot of national forests there, and yeah. I, I actually went out with very minimal gear. I that's definitely the most I ever pushed myself. Um, I was using the Appalachian Trail kind of as a little um, a way of traveling because I, I had some certain points where I'd be camped out at, and I knew there was an apple orchard nearby or a stream down the other way, so yeah. I used the trail. Um, kind of for that way of travel, but the 16 days was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it, it, to me, that's a big breakthrough because it's, it's really hard and I'm still learning. I, I definitely do have weak skills. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want to better those. Um, so I, I want to try and like start pushing myself to go out further and longer. Um, maybe just swap around gear and bring out different types of rations on that trip, that 16 day trip. 
I actually brought out um, one of the small Ziploc baggies, and it was just filled with jerky and some nuts um, and some berries in there and some coconut fat, actually. So that was... And that was for 16 days. That was for 16 days. Yeah, I ran out of that food <laughs> about... Hour and a half in? but no i actually made it last um into the second week and that last um that last half week and that next week were were a little brutal um yeah i i was running into people because there's people appalachian trail hikers and stuff it wasn't really the loneliness for that it was the hunger um yeah I knew I was just, you know, a 10 mile hike from a really nice cabin filled with food. And <laughs> oh, at that point, the mental challenge, just knowing that it was there. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's really tough. That's, that's the longest I've been. And I, I want to get better. And that's, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I have a lot of room for improvement. And I, yeah. I can't wait to keep practicing. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Two years ago, I went out elk hunting with my bow and, uh, I didn't take any food with me. I figured it would be a good exercise. So I went out elk hunting and then two days in, I shot an elk and realized in the middle of the night, hauling an elk off the mountain that I probably should have brought some food with me because you're low on energy and trying to haul that much meat off the mountain. All right. It was a long, rough night. (laughs) You were bow hunting? Yeah. What kind of bow? Mm. Was it like a wooden self bow or a compound? Yeah, it was a uh, maple flat bow that I'd made. Wow, that's awesome. And you got an elk with it? I did. Oh, that's yeah. sweet, dude. That's really cool. Finally, finally. And it had been a couple of years trying, but that was That's yeah. really cool. I have not gotten anything that like that. I can barely get a squirrel or anything. I just finished my first self bow actually. And um yeah. it's really they're they're pretty hard to make. You know, I just wanted to try and have one. It took me about four or five bows, and I'm confident <laughs> that sounds about right. But <laughs> you start out just wanting to have one, and uh, before you know it, you'll have another half dozen of them hanging yeah. on the wall, and uh, you know, many, many broken yeah, ones. Yeah, you know, it's cool because that's where the woodworking comes into play, and your knowledge of wood is what makes a good bow. Like the one I have here is an Osage bow. Um, I'm actually working yeah. on another. And it's Russian olive. It's a piece of seasoned Russian okay. olive. Um, so curious to see how that goes. Huh, fun. And then kind of your take on uh, what you've experienced so far. How has it, it changed going from, you know, your survival trips and whatnot on the east side of the country in your, in your more temperate woodland type setting to a more arid environment out here? What's it, what's it been I like? I think, um, so... In in the Great Smokies, um, there's an immense amount of plant life, and a lot of them are edible. And that's a yeah. great food source because they don't run. Um, and yeah. um, you know, stinging nettle, that plant is really high in protein. That's an amazing superfood. Great wild edible. And that plant is matted all over the forest. You just can't walk without getting stung. Um, so, huh. yeah, back in the Smokies, great food source. And there's a dozen more I can mention, but out here, you know, you don't really have the the diverse amount of plant life as you do in the Southern Appalachians. 
and Uh-oh. the amount of water. Um, out of every draw back home, there's water coming out all, all over the place. It's easy. Yeah. Um, out here, that's not the case. But there's definitely that risk reward, like coming out here trying to do some survival excursions and understand this land. There's definitely a beauty to it out here. Um, the landscape is absolutely beautiful. And oh, it's gorgeous. It, it is. Yeah. And I think you do have um, you have bigger game animals out here. Elk um, and mountain lion are doing a little bit better where I'm from. They've reintroduced those species in some places, so those they're doing a lot better. And out here, you know, I had a mountain lion experience out in the pit house. That was pretty crazy. My dog ran it up a tree. <laughs> yeah, big, really big cat, and. Um, and been seeing moose. I see moose. It seems like every other week out here. Um, so it's really cool. But as far as the difference in survival and stuff, um, like the plant life and the amount of water isn't near the abundance as it is in the great smokies. But, um, that's what makes that challenge. And, you know, there's other things that are here that aren't found where I'm from. So it's, yeah, it's really great. And, um, really cool and feel thankful to learn like in new environments and and be able to travel to them too, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. I've been kind of curious about that. At some point I would like to, I I always get jealous when I see mainly foragers from either the great lakes or the Appalachian area. And it's just, they'll show pictures of being out and about. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Look at all that greenery. (laughs) Like there are so many plants. And, yeah, it's it's makes me a little bit jealous when I see people out foraging because it just looks so easy. And I know it's probably not that easy. It just looks like it like it should be because there's so many more plants. But kind of a different different perspective, a different take on things. Love hearing yeah, about it. No, it, it absolutely is. There's it, it's insane the amount of biology plant life there. Thanks for coming on, Sammy. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to chat with me and share a little bit about what you're doing, what you're involved in. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for taking the time to chat. Well, yeah, no, thanks so much, Daniel, for having me on. It's great chatting with you. There we go, folks. Thanks for listening to another episode. Really, really appreciate you taking the time. Had a lot of fun. Hope you did as well. As usual, if you have any suggestions, uh, topic or guest for me um, for future episodes, feel free to hit me up. I'd love to hear about it. My email is daniel at folkcraftrevival.com. I also would really appreciate if you could take a moment to go and leave a review wherever you happen to be listening to podcasts. Uh, It really does help in the podcast rankings and helping other people discover it. So that, and uh, it would also be wonderful if you'd share it with any other folks, you know, who have like interests and would enjoy this type of, this type of podcast. So like I said, really appreciate you taking the time to listen. Let's, uh, let's go get out there and make something.